The I Am Independent podcast with Loretta and Bianca. Stories, advice and discussions to resource, encourage and support independent music artists. Welcome back to a brand new series of the I Am Independent podcast. These are certainly strange times that we live in, but nevertheless, the independent artist grind is real, hustling hard uh, more than ever, I would think. Well, we're hoping that this series will continue to inspire you, resource you and encourage you even in these difficult times, covering all sorts of topics that are relevant to you guys. We always welcome your feedback, so do get in touch on Instagram or through our website you can find our email address uh, info at iamindependent.co.uk to let us know what you'd like us to cover what you'd want to hear more of or just any comments that you want to share with us so thanks once again for joining us enjoy Uh, welcome to the We Are Independent podcast with Loretta and Bianca. This week we are talking music and mental health. Um, it's so important. We all know it's like quite the global conversation right now, but we wanted to talk about it from the perspective of artists and independent artists and how we can stay healthy whilst we make and share our amazing music. Today we have Ian Hurst on the show and he is from We Are Hummingbird. He is an expert in all these things and we are just going to just sit and get all the info from him. So welcome Ian to our show. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. It's lovely to do this. Thank you. Yeah. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, I'm very, very. Uh, was it Wednesday today? Yeah, relaxed. it's a Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling well. I'm training some good people today. Uh, in between doing this, so I've got my mental health juices well and truly flowing. Oh, that's at the moment, so it's all good. Wonderful. That's what we want to hear, Ian. So, um, I love that we are talking about um, mental health so much more these days yeah. and particularly well in general and then a bit late to the party was the music and mental health conversation yeah. as well but what was kind of your route to an interest into it Ian you know personally and professionally yeah well into mental health um people always laugh at this uh, I had a mental illness there you go <laughs> I had a mental illness and it's always a good place to start um and and I do I reflect on this an awful lot because um, doing what I do now, I think a lot of people might believe that I, I kind of left school and went into it fully deciding that I wanted to work in mental health. And my gosh, it couldn't be any further. I, I worked in insurance. I left school and um, it all it all started then, actually, without ever realising. The more I've educated myself, the more I've been able to look back in my life and see processes and things. But I left school because I was desperate to follow... Um, what society told us was normal. So you get a job, you get paid, you meet someone, you buy a house, you go on holiday and you strive for these promotions. And in and, and the world I lived in, that's what it was all about. It was all about just, you know, delivery, delivery, delivery. And I, I spent, well, 17 years. I don't look old enough, I know, but I spent 17 years in insurance, literally left school. And I spent 17 years chasing happiness, chasing the thing. Um, that would make me feel happy and feel complete and whether that be promotion whether that be going on my next holiday whether that be the next deal 
And I kind of always knew that I didn't fit in. Something was always missing. And when I look back now, it was quite obvious because, as I said, I was always trying to fill a hole. I was always trying to fill this feeling of of not being content. And um, essentially, I, I, I had a really good job where I worked. I, I did have a very good job. And a lot of my friends were always but you know quick to tell me how how well I'd done and how I'd made it and you know high five in the back you know but inside I was pretty hollow uh, and and this is where it became really interesting for me because I was about 30 at this point so I'm you know I'm late to the game of terms of training and stuff and I was about 30 and I was starting to notice real changes in my behavior um I've become really tired emotionally tired um i always laugh now because i became a pro in the instagram quotes you know i started jumping into instagram quotes looking for the statement that was going to make me feel some kind of ah i get it now and you do you you i still see it now and people get comfort from them but i was deep in instagram quotes of meaning and sense of purpose and i was having to put this big act on and pretend that everything was okay and be the clown because i'm a bit of a clown and I'd start to withdraw from customer meetings. So I had to go on lots of customer dinners and drinks and golf days. And again, all these things that society is like, yeah, you've made it. That's great. And I'd start to withdraw from them because I didn't want to have small talk. I didn't want to engage. I didn't, I felt uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, and these things started to occur, isolation. And again, we speak loads at the moment about isolation and certainly artists musicians will get this and I'll, I'll link into the music bit in a bit but this feeling that people still have that for loneliness and isolation you need to be on your own and it's like no I'd feel isolated in rooms full of hundreds of people like in this little bubble and I'd start to feel isolated around my children as well like that a strange thing I'm not being able to really articulate but like they didn't exist and that's a really weird thing to say and all these things were going on inside of me and as a 30 year old man I still didn't realise because mental health had never played a part in my life it had never been a conversation I'd had it had never been something that was discussed if you wanted to know what was going on in the music charts yeah if you wanted to know who's playing the next gig yeah if you wanted to know what was going on in Ibiza this season yeah I could tell you all of that but what I couldn't articulate were these things going on inside of me and um yeah, I still remember now, uh, I, I kind of just, all of this happened for years and I, I kind of kept pushing it down and down, pretending that it was just life and it was what, you know, this is what it's about, deal with it. And I eventually broke down on a plane. Um, yeah, so I broke down on a plane and, and, and hit it pretty hard. Um, and at that point in my life, I was kind of like, okay, I need to, I kind of recognised for the first time, someone said something to me about, you know, chin up mate you'll be okay and again at that point it didn't even mean anything because again I wouldn't have known then if that was the right use of language or not I was just like okay but what did happen is I realized I couldn't pretend anymore so I sat at home trying to google <laughs> and it's bizarre no one says um because about eight years ago trying to google a problem that you don't know how to articulate like now we're very lucky we've come a long way in eight years but back then I just knew something wasn't right. So where do you start with Google? Like, what's not right? <laughs> it's kind of, that's what it was. I remember sitting there thinking, right, okay. Because I didn't know who any of the mental health organisations were. They never, they never factored on my radar. I, I probably had a 
tell you more about Japanese cooking if you wanted me to. But I, I haven't got a clue about anything like that. And I just sat there thinking, well, I need to talk to someone. Where do I start? And very quickly at that point, I realised that there was nothing that spoke my language. Uh, there, there was nothing. There was nothing that spoke to me in a way that I wanted to be spoken to or that I could resonate with. It was very clinical still then. It was very um, based around big words I couldn't pronounce and different parts of your brain and nervous systems. And, and I remember reading it thinking, oh, God, I'm even more confused. So, yeah, that on a personal level is a very long answer to uh, I've been there. I've been there and I've, I've kind of learned a lot from it, really. Yeah. Tell us like how like music is intersected into your Yeah. So funny enough, music's always been a massive part of my life. Massive. And and um, you know, music's a, a time machine. You know, it is, it's a time machine. So some people can remember lyrics, uh, um uh, scripts from films or programmes. I remember music, I remember lyrics, I always have from from such an early age. So when I hear a song I'll I'll go straight back to that place in time whether that's when I was a toddler, um, all the way through. And ironically, um, some of those behaviours I spoke about then about withdrawing from people, although it, it became prominent in my in my late 20s and 30s, when I started to educate myself around mental health and, and taught and, and qualified, what I realised was I'd done that all my life. So when I was younger, I used to withdraw from friends. Um, and what's funny is a lot of the memories I have around music are being in my bedroom on my own um, because I spent such vast amounts of time kind of just shutting people out and listening to so much music um, and it all holds so much to me around around music and, and that time machine and the comfort that I get from it and the sad times that I get from it as well and the journeys that it's taken me on but yeah music's always been huge for me and um, my two partners at We Are Hummingbirds so there's three of us at We Are Hummingbird which is which is a non-profit they're heavily into music as well. And, and in fact, their best friend, who is a, a musician, a recording musician for, for a band uh, called Failsafe, and he did solo work as well, um, he took his life. He, he took his life. And again, they were on a parallel path at this point where they lost someone that they loved dearly in the music industry. And they went through all their range of emotions of anger and frustration and rage before realising that he too didn't have someone he could relate to and neither did they. So we were kind of like three or four misfits in a world of misfits that kind of realised that there was this whole generation of people that weren't getting spoken to in the language they needed it. And that that didn't mean the information wasn't there, but it meant it wasn't being presented in a way that we could digest. So music's one of those real places where no matter where you are whether it's at a festival in the middle of a muddy field whether it's in the uh, sweaty dingy basement venue whether you're in a, um, a super club in Ibiza when you're there when you're experiencing music when you're experiencing the rhythm when you're experiencing everything that's going with it when you're experiencing the show the person next to you's your brother in arms or your sister in arms they're there with you on that journey and we were kind of like why are we not engaging more with this audience and checking in and building on this community. So for us, it was an absolute no-brainer that music was what we wanted to be at the centre of it. And yeah, that's kind of the link for us on that one. And who doesn't love music? 
find me someone that doesn't like some music something even if it's 16th century classic you know it doesn't matter someone likes everything so yeah um so obviously you've had personal experience of this which is something that always makes us passionate about a subject but from your experience where you suddenly even were aware of what mental health is how did that um take you to start in to want to help with others um and lead to we are hummingbird and tell us a bit about that yeah a, a really really important kind of part because when i started to address what i was experiencing with my mental health it became really clear really quickly that everything that i'd been taught everything that society had taught me my parents my friends everything i read in newspapers books magazines films i mean literally everything i've based 30 odd years of my life on um in terms of mental health was was wrong either massively wrong or skewed um i learned about how la- lazy we are with language how most of us use words day in day out and we don't actually know what they mean, which is quite frightening. And then when you use those words, you then pass them on to others. So I went on this massive journey of, wow, you know, this is this is unbelievable. And we are Hummingbird, um, because I've got two, two business partners. We are Hummingbird had started um, with the death of a, of a close friend of one of theirs. And it was an idea. It was just an idea of how do we engage with other people how do we let other people know that there's like that the nhs have a mental health area like who knows to go to the nhs and find those mental health services they originally started of if we create this platform and we, we engage with merseyside nhs or my two business partners did and they engage with merseyside nhs said look can we build a front end platform that if people find it through the playlist they'll end up at your site and of course the nhs were like yeah of course um and this had been going on whilst I was still working in, in London. They'd started to build this brand and it had started to, to kind of, the embers of it were born. When I started learning more about me, I had that light bulb moment where I need to I need to take this further. I can't carry on living life in insurance. It's not who I'm meant to be. And I think I always knew that, as I said, I think I always knew that I was seriously treading water. And something just happened inside of me and those anyone that's listening that's had a passion will know this when you know you know and if you've not experienced this then maybe you've not found your passion yet but there's still time you know I was in my 30s and I said to my wife and my kids uh I'm gonna leave my job (laughs) I'm gonna leave my London job um this is the point they really knew something was wrong with me um (laughs) I said I'm gonna leave my London job I'm gonna retrain um in mental health because I'm I don't think it's right that people don't know this. I don't think it's right that that for I'm not the only person in this world that has been misguided on my on my beliefs around mental health. So I did. I, I left, and the first plan of me was that I was going to retrain in in mental health, and and that was the ember of the idea. And naturally, when I'm I'm coming at it from 17 years business, I'm thinking, right, what am I going to be called? How am I going to do this? Like I had a business idea behind it. And I thought, you know what, Ian Hurst training doesn't sound that good. Um, And it just, the penny dropped. I was like, why, why am I not seeing if the boys, you know, my two friends at We Are Hummingbird will let us collaborate. So instead of just being this front end platform, that's quite kind of weak in terms of chance that someone's going to find it why don't we make this a full-time thing and instead of just pointing people to 
NHS, instead of being reactive, which is one of the biggest problems we've got in this country around mental health, instead of being reactive, why don't we actively train people? Why don't we actively educate people? And of course, the boys, well, they played hardball, didn't they? they were, mm, but they loved it. And they said, yeah, come on. And that was it. That was the day of, of reckoning. And we took a photo that day of when we had the idea and we've still got it on the wall. And it's the day that it all changed. And we kind of went from having this ember of an idea about speaking a language that people can relate to that isn't clinical to then being able to train people and educate people in a way that they understand, you know, in a way that they're like, oh, I get it. And I talk about all kinds of weird stuff. I talk about underpants. I talk about falling in love. I talk about vases and cups because when you remove all of the clinical text, people just want to understand it in a way that they can relate to their life. And they're like, right, that makes sense. Um, and yeah, we've just, so we, we registered as a, as a nonprofit and we've just gone on and on and on. And it's been great with opportunities from there on in really. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you, have you worked with a lot of DJs and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So we're really fortunate. Um, what, what's happened is, is when we, so, so when we are hummingbird was formed, it was always based around making the distance as short as possible between someone realising they needing help, this is originally, someone realising they didn't help and being able to get connected with help um, and talking in a language that they understood and using the language that we understood because if we understand it in theory, we'd like to think they do. And the more we did this, the more we started to use our language, so there's no clinical talking in anything you'll see of us, really, um, and we, we make lots of different materials. Um, but the more we started getting involved... We had contacts in music already. Um, and so what we do is we do a, pl a playlist every Friday. So this is the thing that stayed true for six years. We've been going six years now. And the very first thing we did was a playlist. And it started off then as 13 tracks. And that was relating to the number of male suicides in the UK every day. 13. Um, and we'd get the artist to give us 13 tracks and then tell us why music means something to them. And it would go out on Spotify and it was a real kind of breadcrumb approach. Like maybe someone wants to know what Frank Turner's listening to and they'll go on Spotify, type in Frank Turner. They go, oh, he's done a playlist. What's this? Oh, it's mental health. I mean, it was so thin on the ground. It was, but all we wanted to do is help one person. And from doing that, it grew and it grew and grew to the point where um, we were actually, we'd done some work with a guy who was involved in Ibiza Rocks over, over in Ibiza and we'd met him, we got chatting, he was like, yeah, I, I love what you guys do. And he did a playlist for us. And that was great. That was it. Take care. See you later. Bye. And then probably we were doing our thing. And a couple of weeks later, or probably months, he got in touch again and said, look, we're, um, we're going to start doing retreats in Ibiza for artists, for DJs, for DJs and, and, um, and producers. And it's a safe space where these DJs can go and, and hone their skills and improve their skills and, we want there to be a big aspect of mental health involved. Um, can you guys help? And we were like, yeah, let's do this. This is what we kind of want to do. This is what we're all about. We're, we're talking to people who at the moment don't necessarily feel like there's a voice for them. So we went out to Ibiza and funny enough, it, it turned out that they'd actually approached um, another organisation first who didn't want to get involved because certain people have certain backgrounds. And that's really important as well, because everyone deserves a voice when it comes to mental health, regardless of your background, what you do, how you live. But we went away, uh, or I went out to Ibiza and, and met everyone at this this retreat. 
and it became pretty apparent that I was going to be the busiest person there and I was and what's really good so we, if you can imagine this this big villa and you've got your pool in the middle and all the DJs and, and you know there's world famous DJs there there's DJs with um, you know five contract album deals to big big artists and there's some other people working their way through and producers a real, a real lovely mix of, of people and <laughs> most of them will spend their day sat there with their headphones on on their laptop because you know what you see music world isn't what happens you know these guys need to make music and i'll touch on this a bit more about the learnings but they'll be sat there with with their you know laptops making music and they'd be able to link in with pioneer and other great people and share ideas and tips but what became really apparent was yeah just how busy i'd be in having conversations and I'd probably start about eight in the morning and it was a very relaxed thing. And this is again, super important. So I'd, I'd be a floater and you know, I, I go and do these all the time now, but I'll float around and I'll be available. And what you'll find is people be like, Oh, can I just have a quick word? Um, so there's, there's workbooks that I do with them also at the kind of start of doing intro to what I am, what I'm there to do. And, and you know, how I can assist and throughout the session there's workbooks that they all get um, and we might be able to tune into different parts. And this is what I mean. We sat around a pool, you know, in shorts, having a you know a, a, a lemonade and we're talking about depression or we're talking about anxiety but we're doing it in an environment which is their language what they understand and what they feel comfortable in and so we'll talk about their pressures and what they face and again i'll come on to that more and, and you just find they dip in and dip out and dip in and then come back and then they might want to pick up something else and then they might have questions about why they have certain methods or rituals before gigs or yeah so um that's a mainstay of what we do working with recording DJs. And I'll, I'll definitely touch more in a minute about what kind of stands out for them. Uh, we go to festivals a lot. So we're lucky enough to go to, <laughs> when we weren't in COVID, we, we're invited to a number of festivals ranging from smallish regional festivals. I mean, we don't go to any cheese and, and <laughs> cheese festivals. We tend to, you know, go to decent sized festivals, but there's some smaller ones. There's like folk festivals we go to. And then we'd also go to the larger ones, the ones kind of in Cornwall, I won't say any names, but large, large festivals uh, where there's a lot of surfing that takes place in the middle of the summer. And what will happen is that we'll have two presents. Um, we'll, we'll have a main gazebo, which is in the general public area. And that acts as a bit of a safe space to help people who just need to take some time out and chill out. So we've got big deck chairs and guitars and people can literally just come and take some time and be like, I want to just give me two minutes, I need to recalibrate. And then we also have a gazebo backstage to help artists um, in that safe environment for them as well. So, you know, if they're milling around backstage, they might want to be like, you know, what's this? Tell me more. Because people are funny. They're, they'll do a double take. They'll walk back and forth like four times. Like, you see them peering. Like, what's going on here? And then they'll go again. I'll be like, I can see them a mile off a bit. They'll be back. And then they do this, come over and they're like, so uh, what's this about then? Because that's the other important thing. The logo we've got of We Are Hummingbird, it doesn't mention mental health deliberately. And anyone can get to any other mental health organisation from our website without ever typing it on their webpage. So it's really key that this whole kind of unfortunate stigma that people still have. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the work we do with DJs and artists. And um, I think as well, the obviously the, the niche that you guys have developed or identified was the fact that musicians as well, they're not they're not generally gonna ask for help I think people um 
don't generally ask for help men in particular when it comes to mental yeah. health but being accessible and I think one of the things that new research my, my sister's actually just doing a, a finishing an MA in psychology of music yeah. um, and what's come out is that there's a lot of unique pressures to artists could you tell us about some of those that you've identified in in your work absolutely I mean some of the stuff that's really shown out of me is an artist's need for I don't know if um to feel like they're not letting people down this is one of the biggest things that so when I talk to artists one of their biggest drivers is not to be letting their family or loved ones down because in a way I think it's still seen that they're lucky to follow their passion and 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 then with that goes this huge amount of expectation and that driving force. So like I said about artists when they're sat on their laptops, because it is there's huge amounts of time needed to to deliver on on what your trade is and not to let people down. So there's this element of expectation, and then you've got added to that um, performance expectation. And this is something that people don't get. And and the way I try and explain this to to people who aren't musicians. As I say, imagine what you do in your job. Let's say you're a car salesman and you go into work and that day you break the UK record for selling cars. You've sold more cars than anyone else has ever sold in a, in, in a day in the UK. And as you're leaving that show and people are high-fiving you, they're like, yeah, you're the man, you've got the local press, they want to talk to you. Now, how have you sold this many cars in a day and you're on, you're up here you're you're on cloud nine and you go home and you open the champagne or the non-alcoholic celebrated drink whatever it is and you're there and you're loving life and your wife's hugging you or your husband or your partner and you're you're up here and you go back to work the next day and you're buzzing and you're walking your boss goes same again and you're like well hang on what that was just a that was a good day right like i tried but that was a good day well this is the equivalent of when an artist puts out a number one or a number two, or a number three. And we see this, and just think now about the number of artists that once they've done a number one, we're like, where's the next one? You even get labelled a one-hit wonder if you don't. The pressure that goes on to artists to deliver time after time after time after time. And that's what I said, when you put it in the breakdown of a day-to-day job, that's immense. And we don't give out any thought. We don't ever think about what it is like. And then what that that drives, uh, and and this is that feeling of artists often saying, well, who am I to complain? Who am I, with all this wealth, being able to do what I want to do, or even if I haven't got the wealth, being allowed to live out this passion that I've got and make music? Yeah, things are tough, but you know what? People have got it tougher. And what often happens there is because of that expectation, it's not just artists, it's footballers, actors, anyone that has wealth will, will experience this because... There's the fear of when you step forward and say things aren't right, that people are going to go, who the hell are you to say that? Or they feel it themselves. And this is a huge stigmatic problem. This prevents people from seeking support they need. I mean, just look at examples of, if I could say it, the Little Mix recently, okay? So Jesse left. I mean, how many months did it take for them to release why she left? I mean, I was looking at it going, I could tell you right now what that is. It's clear to see. But all this pressure that goes with it, and what you find is when you've got this level of expectation about who am I to speak out, you forget who the person is because often the root of the the individual is someone that just wants to make music. Someone that just started their life in their bedroom making music and feeling really, really happy about the fact that that's what they're doing. 
And then the more you do that, or the better you become, the more you find yourself in an industry which expects more of you and expects you to deliver time after time after time, and you get caught up in it, and then maybe you'll find that you're giving things for free. Heaven forbid if you get given something for free, you talk about your mental health because you've got it made. And then you might find yourself in an environment, and at the root of this, let's not forget, there's still just someone that wants to make music, pure and simple. And then you might find, and again, I've got this a lot with DJs. Um, so you might be a you know <laughs> superstar DJ, and the promoter will book you in the states, and they'll say, right, you're coming over to the states, and we're going to book you. But when promoters book DJs, they don't book them for a two-hour slot; they book the name. And you're going to party with us, and you're going to socialise with us, and you're going to spend time with us, and we're going to have you for that period of time. And we're going to indulge and we're going to do things and you're going to enjoy it. And then when that time's done, we're going to ship you off. And then you'll go to the next promoter or do the same. And, and whilst you could look at this go, oh, what a sad story. Well, it is because this is an individual involved that at the root wants to make music. And then, then you're faced with the inner demons of, well, as an artist, if I say something, if I say I don't want to partake in this or I say no thanks, will this promoter book me again? And I've got a mortgage I need to pay. And if they don't book me, I don't get paid. And and it spirals really, really quickly. And this is part of the reason why artists just don't talk. And it's it's kind of, it's really sad. It breaks my heart, actually, that, that we're in this world still, the way where we're faced with that. Just a quick reminder that we have a growing number of resources and useful videos on our YouTube page, just search I am independent and you should find us and do follow us on social media on Instagram at we are independent artists and on Facebook under the same also on Facebook you can join our closed group where we're creating community for independent artists to swap ideas collaborate and just feel extra supported and encouraged you can find links to everything we do on our website www.iamindependent.co.uk yeah, I think the pressures on artists, as you say, like, I don't think people think about it because it, it, it does feel like such a um, a novelty and like a, you know, you're, you're a musician, like you make music, like that's just like, that must be so fun. And it, there's the, the considerations around what it takes to do it as a career are not really um, thought, thought out by artists, but also by the people that are around them as well. Um, what do you think some like triggers for artists? Say, you know, a lot of our audience are artists who are new to their career or yeah. they're not necessarily, they're mostly not signed to a major label. They don't have the, um, uh, they're not, they, they haven't got a lot of that infrastructure around yeah. them, but they, you know, they might. And what sort of things should they be looking out for, you know, in, in terms of taking care of themselves, in terms of things that might come at them and, and ways to respond to things and stuff? Yeah, totally. I mean, the big one that jumps at me is anxiety straight away. Anxiety all day long. And, and again, a lot of people don't understand the difference. OK, you say to people, tell me what anxiety is and people don't know. And this is, again, how we built our lives using these big words, stress and anxiety. Well, if I said, tell me what stress and anxiety is, we'd go, or we'd have a stab in the dark, we'd have a guess. They're clumped together, I know that. They go together, they go hand in hand. Yeah, but when, and this is what's worrying. We, we live our lives with something that 
affects us every single day, yet we cannot, most of us can't articulate what it is. So with anxiety, for example, um, it's about talking to artists about, okay, the physical effects of anxiety. So everyone experiences anxiety every single day. It's, in, it's a human body response. It keeps us safe, in fact. So often when people get diagnosed with anxiety as a mental illness, they're not, anxi- they're not diagnosed anxiety. They're diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Anxiety is all around us. It keeps us safe. What if I put my hand on a hot stove? I'll burn. Don't do it. So anxiety is driven by like two words. What if? And it's our brain's constant. What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? Now, there's effects of anxiety. So you can always recognise, and I try and train people to understand when they're feeling anxious. So you'll have certain physical effects. So palpitations, rapid heartbeat, flushing, uh, butterflies, keeping the need to go to the toilet, um, vomiting. So there's physical effects of anxiety. Hyperventilation, shortness of breath, dizziness. Yeah. So there's all of those. And every single person, because anxiety is a normal thing, will experience these. And then there's emotional ones, so worrying, excessive concern that things might go wrong, um, negative thoughts, dismissive thoughts, uh, putting yourself down, lots of worry. And then there's behaving, uh, behavioural events like avoiding situations. So when someone's anxious, regardless of whether you're an artist or not, you'll experience these things, certain things, maybe one of each, maybe two of each. Trying to help artists understand what they are experiencing is key. Because when someone's excited, the body doesn't have a subcategory for it. So the way your body behaves when you're excited is exactly the same as when you're anxious. So think about the last time you were excited. Palpitations, sweaty palms, heartbeat going up, maybe the excited wee. Maybe you're even sick before you're excited. You can't sleep the night before. Your body doesn't have a subcategory. It doesn't have a separate pot for anxiety and excitement. So often what you've got is young artists that have all of these feelings going on inside of them and they try and suppress them because they believe them to be negative rather than understanding that it's excitement, that actually you can use this for good. So sports personalities will be encouraged to harness their excitement. I still get it now. My stomach drops before I've got to do a big talk and I have to remind myself I'm excited, not anxious. But when people aren't educated on these simple things and you find yourself up on stage or behind a set of decks, and all of a sudden you get that feeling, well then it's really easy to turn to the thing that's going to give you a short-term answer, a bottle of beer, whatever else it might be. And that will settle those feelings. So in your mind you're thinking, I've settled my nerves. Well, you've suppressed your excitement. You don't know the difference between the two. And then of course you need another beer halfway through and we just talk alcohol at this stage. You need another beer then midway through and then another one, another one. And what's really key is that's when it then starts becoming something that's an everyday part of your life. And we've all seen artists that have, you know, overindulged. So then you start working out to say, okay, well, let's recognise these symptoms. Let's recognise what's going on when you stand up on stage or before you're about to go on stage. And let's work out ways in which you can manage that so there's great things like grounding techniques so a lot of artists um i'll say okay when you get there and you're feeling these i want you to think of five things you can see and what they'll start doing i say okay well is the jack in the deck are your cdjs lined up is your ramp turned on 
Yeah, so you can build it into their routine check. So instead of getting on stage and all of a sudden having all these overwhelming thoughts, they're like, okay, what are the five things I can see? My pre-check rituals, even though you know they've been done by the other people, what are they? And what this does is it slows the brain down. It stops it from going into this state of anxiety or overexcitement and allows people to start going, right, this is where I'm at. I don't need that bottle of beer now because I've checked my five things. Everything's okay. Am I right? Four things I can feel and work your way around another one. There may be three things they can hear, especially if they're a, a big arena. Okay, what three things can I really pick out? And all of these skills will then start to slow their brain down and allow them to regain that sense of calm. Uh, if people do yoga, you activate your parasympathetic nervous system when you breathe in and out through your nose. Yeah, that's what you want. When your parasympathetic nervous system's working, that's as clinical as I get, guys, for you. When that's working for you, what you're doing is you're in your relaxed state. What often happens when we get anxious is our sympathetic nervous system takes control and we start to lose it. And um, so, yeah, just simple things like that about helping artists understand. It's so powerful and it's so simple. We should be teaching this stuff at school. Ian, what sort of... um, I think one of the things that we know is true is people don't know that they need help they don't know how to ask for help and they don't know when to when should somebody seek help outside of themselves like the I love that you gave practical things I think so many people want to know what can I do in the moment I love that that you've just explained to us but when should somebody be worried and know when to reach out for help okay my answer now being (laughs) is uh, being in this industry is we shouldn't be waiting to a point (laughs) i know that doesn't answer your question and i will answer your question but there's so much stuff to know and this is the part of the problem uh, and i will answer your question but we're such a reactive country in that we wait till things go wrong and when things have gone wrong we're we're down the line i mean the, the total cost of all mental health in the uk will make your eyes water i mean it's in the hundreds of billions and that's because we wait until something goes wrong and then we step in. So my answer from uh, how I want to change the world is I want to educate everyone so that they're not getting to that point. So they have an awareness about when they start to feel different. In terms of people that maybe are further down the line, um, it's not always easy to ask for help. And I think it's the first thing that you have to say and this is one of the things that grates me, is that it comes down to the responsibility of people around to a degree. Because you'll always see on social medias, people put in posts saying, if you're struggling, reach out. But I can tell you right now, if someone's struggling, they ain't reaching out. It's such a dead statement. I know people do it from a kind place. I know they do. But it's it's the opposite of what you're meant to be saying. Because I remember when I was not well, reaching out is out of the question. Because you have a loss of hope. You've got a loss of sense of even knowing you need to. The way they should be framed is if I see you needing help, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to reach out to you. But again, if people are thinking, well, where do I go? Um, this is why certainly in the music industry, we wanted to create We Are Hummingbird because we, we're a community that doesn't just want to be there when people need us. We want to be a community that's there that includes people from the start so whether that's that they like listening to our playlists every week whether that's they they send in youtube stuff to us whether it's that they've done instagram lives of us or whatever podcasts it's that they know that there's a community out there 
that will be with them on their journey all the way. And they can dip in when they need it and get all the resources or link into other groups. Or they can just be a bystander when life's good for them. Because that's life. You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. And and I think that's the key thing. If if we can bring people along for the ride, they're always going to be on the journey with us. And by putting it in a language that they can understand, it's not scary to dip in. It's like, oh, I'm just going to have a quick look at this. And part of the work that we do so friendly. And you can just dip in on one section and be like, oh, what's that all about? Yeah, I'm going to read about why I'm feeling a bit anxious today. So... I'd like everyone to have some kind of knowledge and that's a big thing that I fight for every day, you know, to train and to empower and power. You know, our aim is to be at Glastonbury main stage and our logo be there and every single person in that crowd be like, yeah, it's mental health. I know about that. That's the aim for us. That's what it should be. Um, Don't leave it too late, but often people can't see it. And if that, if you can see that in someone else, Slip them a book, slip them a, a phone number, slip them a website. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but just say, oh, check these guys out. They just did a playlist with da 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 da. I'm always about being slightly devious. <laughs> I'm always about when you see someone that needs a bit of support, I'm always about, you know, don't be afraid to tell a little white lie. Like I say this to people when I train all the time. If you've got someone you care about and you've been on this course, go and buy a book if you think it'll work for your partner and go, oh, look, they just gave me this free book on this course. Have a read of it. I don't care how you do it. Be devious if you need to. But it sometimes takes putting it out there for people to pick it up and go, what's this all about then? So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. question. No, it does. And actually related, um, I I was going to say, you said about people aren't going to ask for help. That's so true. Um, I wondered about if you could talk into how you can help somebody who you know is struggling. So family members or artists yeah. who know of artists. And also, again, slightly related to that, but slightly different, is what responsibility do you think the music industry itself has for artists' mental health? I mean, I've probably, you both probably watched the Amy Winehouse film, yeah. and my heart was broken at how many obvious opportunities there were for the people around her to help her, and the, the things she was sent, you know, willed out on stage when she was in no fit state. Um, so yeah, what 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 changes would you like to be seen in the music industry helping and taking responsibility for that? Yeah. But also for the per- family, friends. Yeah. What can we do? do you no, know, I've actually had direct conversations with people that were around Amy at that time of wheeling in, wheeling out, and there's a a lot of um, as you can probably imagine, there's a lot of regret around that. But I also think that we must understand that generally we're all good people with a huge lack in knowledge and that's still so true to this day and that's one of the biggest things about it because a lot of the time we don't know how to act or how to behave and we'll find ourselves in these situations and we'll act on impulse and often impulse can be worse to answer your question about how they can reach other people first and then i'll come on to the music industry um as human beings we're fixers okay we see someone in distress How do I fix? You give me a problem, how do I fix? Well, this is the first problem when it comes to mental health. It really is. Because when when someone comes to you with a problem or there's something really obvious to you, you try and fix it. You're like, well, I can see. Think of all the times you've split up with someone and to everyone else, you know, they've said, 
we could see they're not right for you. But love's blind, isn't it? You're in it and you can't see that, but everyone else can. And it's the same with when you try and fix people. You can see what the person needs to do, but they can't. And when you go into fix mode, when you start to give advice, when you start to say, you know, it might be really obvious that you're not very well. But when I start trying to fix you, your barrier goes up, your guard goes up. You actually don't want to engage. You don't want to communicate and you will actively push me away, especially men. Men exert women internalize so the men will come across angry and aggressive and then women will retreat in themselves but when you're trying to fix or give solutions i always say you're actually adding a day on to recovery every day that you're trying to fix you're actually just adding another day on it's about listening uh and this sounds really <laughs> silly listening and communicating uh we can kind of do listening kind of we're terrible at communicating we hear words, we make assumptions, and I, I mean anything. So someone might say something and we go, oh, yeah, I know how you feel. Well, when it comes to thoughts and feelings and emotions, mental health, you don't know how someone feels because you're not them. So straight away, when you're going, oh, I know how you feel, someone's like, well, actually, it's, you don't. We often run the risk of being hijackers. So someone will tell us how they feel and go, oh, God, yeah, let me tell you about me. Because we're taught to empathise, you know, find that connection. Yeah, yeah, I know how you feel. It's awful, isn't it, mate? Yeah, it's awful. And when we're doing that, we're not listening. We're not giving the person a chance to actually talk. And my advice to anyone, and this is hard, especially when it's a family member or someone that you love deeply, is to have the strength inside you just to go, okay, I don't understand. I can't imagine what you're going through. Tell me. Tell me about it. I always say the, the three key questions are Ted. Tell me about, explain, describe. Because what you do when you ask these, when you really ask these, you give someone permission. And that's kind of what this comes down to, granting of permission. You give someone permission to say, do you know what? I'm all right. I don't want to talk. But you also give them permission to say, I really want to know what you've got to say. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you how to fix it. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what you're feeling. And we'll see where it takes us. We don't do that enough. We're too quick to fix, to give them the quick fix solution. So anyone that's got circumstances of anyone and they feel uncomfortable, my, my advice would just be to, to find the right time, to just sit there and say, look, I don't know what you're going through. Let's be humble for a second. Even if you think you do, I, I don't know what that must feel like. Tell me about it. And you'll probably find that there will be some level, even if it's a rant, there'll be some level of output from that person. And I've sat and listened to people rant a lot. So that would be my advice. Don't go to fix mode. And that's harder than you think. If people could take anything away from this, think don't go to fix mode. And they'll start to notice how much they do it. There's a great video on YouTube that I show people all the time. It's called um, It's Not About The Nail. If you just type that into YouTube, uh, you'll find it. It's not about the nail. Watch it. And you'll be amazed that when you're looking at it thinking, oh God, I do that. And how obvious it is that we do things. Um. So that's my answer for that. And in terms of the music industry, yeah, right. Uh, so much needs to be done. <laughs> so much. Um, I, I've, I've had numerous conversations with managers. The problem you've often got is artists are freelance, right? So who's going to pay for this is the first question. Who's going to pay for this education or this support? I've had numerous conversations with record labels and managers saying, you know, when are you going to provide some form of mental health support? Um, it is something that we are hummingbird are working on. We've got something in the pipeline that we can't talk about at the moment, but there's still this perception that it's very expensive. 
that's an old way of looking at things. It's not. And they say, oh, I can't afford it. I can't, you know, we can't afford to send a doctor around tour. And I'm like, you got a tour bus? Well, yeah, we need a tour bus. Well, you kind of need mental health support, don't you? You just can't see it. That's the problem we've got. You just can't sit in it, sleep in it and eat in it. But you need it. And people have a problem of understanding that because they need to know how the person's getting to the gig. But what happens if they can't actually get to the gig because they're not in the right mental state? And this is the thing that we've got a huge gap. And I say to record labels all the time, the first record label, I don't want to give it away, but I say the first record label that offers dedicated mental health support to the crew, the artists and everyone else involved, you'll sign whoever you want because you've got a generation right now of up-and-coming people, young people, that want this. And we can't ignore it because we think it costs money. It, it needs to change. And, and there is big things that need to be done. Uh, the language needs to be changed. So there is stuff out there at the moment that managers can get. Um, it might not tick all the boxes for managers in being able to get the knowledge they need to support people. It could be quite wordy. And if someone's a creative person, they might not want to read too much. So it's all about changing the way that we attack how we're getting information out there, how we make it accessible. Everyone learns and digests things in different ways. So I think there's a lot that needs to be done. I'm always having these conversations. Um, I'm always trying to find solutions for how it gets done. Um, because I think the whole industry, from my humble opinion, <laughs> could do with a refresh. And I'm happy to be proven otherwise by any big record label or big wig that wants to sit down and have a coffee with me and tell me what they're doing. I'll happily have that conversation. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. I guess um, maybe to finish, um, Ian, it'd be great if you tell um, us how people can find you and reach you as well. Yeah. Um, but I suppose what would be the one thing that you would want to say to an independent artist? I mean, they might not necessarily be touring loads or having the pressure of loads of streams, but yeah. they might be experiencing a bit of depression because it's a long hard slog a lot of rejection yeah. from putting their music out there and those kind of things but what are some kind of tips to be looking after our mental health before it gets too drastic yeah um so i think for any artists out there the first thing that i'll say is don't wait till it's too late get in touch so i work with lots of artists at the moment one-to-one -one, i have phone calls with them up and coming artists and i've helped so many 16 17 18 year old people uh, try and understand trolls social media you know everything that goes with it and and sometimes it's really important just to have an organization that they can kind of lean on and feel part of so i'd say for any up and coming artists get involved with us link follow us um, use us to bounce ideas. We currently reply to every single person that gets in touch with us without fail. We do it because that's really important to us as a community. Um, find what you relate to because at the moment I'm telling everyone to come and see us. Yes, I am, but we're not all the same. We won't be everyone's cup of tea. You've got to accept that. Um, so what I'd say is, is find the organisation that you believe in Find the organisation that tells you the information or gives you tips or gives you hints or looks visually in a way that's attractive to you because there's nothing harder in life. Um, and this is the underpants story, but we won't go there. But there's nothing harder in life than trying to understand something when it's not put across in your way. If it doesn't fit you, then why are you trying to put yourself in that in that position? There's so much great information out there now. So look around, find the organisation that suits you. Um, 
start to try and raise some awareness early on. Um, if it's a, if the organisation's worth its salt, it will have um, help guides, booklets on there, bits of information that you should be able to read and resonate, tips and hints that you should be able to take away. So start educating yourself now on life as it might be, you know, well, not life as it might be, life as it will be going forward because everyone will have mental health. They can follow us uh, on every single social media platform that there is. I mean, I think we're on them all. Um, just We Are Hummingbird or any variation of. And if you can't find us on the platform, then go to our website, um, www.wearehummingbird.com. Uh, on there, they will find whew, workbooks. So you can download your own workbook and, and do topics around depression, anxiety, stress, um set your own wellness action plan so if you're an artist about to go on tour maybe do that download it and set your action plan so you can see keep yourself in check we've got over 25 pages of phone numbers for all kinds of different services services you can't even imagine that exist and as i said everyone can link to them straight away without going through google we've got loads of different ways in which people can do stuff for us to raise awareness uh, most importantly, which I haven't mentioned, people can donate to us. Um, when you donate to us, we buy musical instruments for kids, organisations, groups that can't afford to buy themselves. So it's all about keeping the, the music going round and round and round and helping the next generation. So 100 quid, we'll buy an acoustic guitar. 350 quid, a full drum set. 10 quid, we'll buy a triangle. Every penny counts. So there's ways in which people can get involved. But I'd say find that organisation that really makes you think, do you know what, I get these guys, it makes sense, and don't be afraid to explore kind of what else is out there. There's so much great stuff these days that can really help. That's so good. Ian, thank you so much. Um, you've, you've given us a wealth of information and um, we must get you back on um, to talk about this stuff some more because it is really important and it's not just one conversation, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you very much. And don't forget to sign up to our mailing list where you'll receive a free 10-day guide especially designed to inspire and equip independent music artists with some really useful, practical and inspirational resources. Sign up at www.iamindependent.co.uk For more great content from I Am Independent, Find us on social media at We Are Independent Artists. Check out our Spotify playlist for new music from independent artists. Search We Love Independent Music. <laughs>